0: Well, good morning again. You may be seated. As you can imagine, we have taken a break from our series entitled Good News uh, to give some special time for Mother's Day. Now. Uh, hopefully your temptation is not to intellectually switch into cruise control or to even switch off or snooze because you're saying well hey I'm not a mother so this won't be for me it's not the case because I'm going to be speaking to everyone who has a mother who has a mother did I get everybody Good, so it'll be for all of us. Well, good stuff. Let's ask for the, Lord help, the Lord's help as we begin. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning. We've already sang in our lyrics that we want to surrender ourselves to you, that we want to get to know you. We recognize that surrender is the path. And so, Lord God, we surrender whatever is running around in our hearts and minds. We surrender whatever is going on in our brains. We surrender whatever emotions are plaguing us. We surrender any and all things that would compete with Lord God this moment and being able to fully receive from you, to clearly hear you. Lord God, Regardless of the day designated on the calendar, we want to always glorify you, to beautify the sun, to uplift your word, to, Lord God, to exposit the text and to clearly show the gospel. Lord God, we need you in this way. We cannot do it faithfully or effectively on our own. Would you deliver us, Lord God, from our preconceived notions of what today is about? Would you deliver us, Lord God, from our oratory expectations, Lord God? And would you deliver us to, Lord God, what you want done? You've carved out the moment of preaching for the edification, perfection, and Lord God, equipping of your people for the work of ministry. Would you allow us to see clear evidence of that happening today? Would you allow there to be a demonstration of your spirit that clearly, Lord God, delivers on what the Word says it's about. It is good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Lord God, would you allow something of that Um, unique work, Lord God, of your scripture to be seen and heard and felt in each heart this morning. This we ask in the matchless and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Whenever it's time for uh, us to transition in the service from prayer and our time of worship, there's that little window where we invite all of our uh, young ones to go to their uh, place of discipleship You've been in here or you've been at some church, at least, where you've seen the little kids running. And if you, I don't know about your perspective, but if you're sitting where I am, you're always looking to see if someone's going to clip their foot on the edge of the stage because they're running. And if it's not after church where you're wondering if a child is going to fall, maybe, it's, maybe it's, it, it's after outside in the parking lot and you see them scaling a wall and maintaining their balance or playing some precarious game that looks as if they're going to skin their knee. You've seen this? Uh, even if it's not your child, you are moved with, 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 with heart palpitation. Your heart seems to skip a beat depending on how high the thing is that they're going to jump off of. And sometimes when you see a child running at full speed with reckless abandon, you're like, Oh no, I know they're going to bump into something and hurt themselves. And probably with some 60-40 frequency, it does indeed happen. But then there's another dynamic that breaks out that I always like to enjoy. I don't enjoy seeing children fall and hurt themselves, but here's what I do enjoy. I do enjoy this unique thing that happens when a child uh, uh, runs into something or hurts themselves and they fall down and they realize that they are indeed in pain. There's a variety of emotions. There's a unique cocktail of emotions. Am I going to get in trouble because I know that my running is a work of disobedience? Am I hurt uh, uh, above measure? Well, no matter what's going on, you can tell in a child's eyes that there's fear, that there's tears, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And other people will go over to that child and they're screaming and they're wailing, or either they're in that pre-cry phase, which is extremely silent before they erupt in sorrow. But then there's something special that happens when a child kind of loses it in that way. They're crying. They've got a full-on skint up knee, baby. And mom goes over and touches the child. And even though the mother's touch does not have any clinical, technical or medicinal value, it's not even magic. But isn't it interesting that a mother's touch can quiet a screaming child, even though her touch has not technically addressed the wound. Have you seen that happen? Have you experienced it in your own life where you were a child who was, who was crying or just absolutely losing it? And the one thing that could help you in that moment, even if it wasn't a Band-Aid, more than a Band-Aid, you wanted to know that you had a mother's touch, someone that would draw you close and say that it's going to be okay. Have you seen this happen? This is a great place to insert an amen or mm-hmm like Marcus is doing. It's okay to speak at this church if you're new. You've seen this happen. Well, I believe that that unique touch, that mother's touch, is not new. I don't believe it's nuanced. I believe that there is actually a biblical precedent for it. And that's what I want to explore this morning is the mother's touch. Now, as I drew us into this text in the morning, well, if I draw, as I am drawing you in, we all have a mother. Has anybody heard of mitochondrial DNA? It is the kind of DNA, it is that expression of our DNA that we all inherit from a mother. And there is a common mother. There is a mitochondrial Eve. That is scientifically, we also know what is stated biblically, that we all come from or share a mother. And her name is Eve. And today I want to talk to you about Eve's touch. I want to talk to you about the mother's touch that has impacted every single life in the room. Start with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 13 through 20, and then we're going to park and pause with one particular text that is going to be our place of focus. Genesis chapter 3, if you know anything about your Bible, this is immediately following the fall of mankind. Sound familiar? The fall. The Bible says in verse 13, then the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field and on your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, beef, tension, friction between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel to the woman he said i will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you and and adam said and to adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree which i commanded you that you shall not eat curses the ground because of you and in pain you shall eat all the days of your life the thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the plants of the field and and the, by the sweat of your brow and the and you shall eat bread. Until you return to the ground, for of it you were taken, for out of the dust and to the dust you shall return. And the man, this is so interesting, verse 20. And the man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Now up until this point, Eve has only been referred to as the woman or the wife that you gave me. But at the close of this, Adam turns to her as he had been naming everything else and said, your name is Eve, because you are the mother of all living. I think it's important to note that Adam does not turn to his wife. He does not turn to the woman and shake his finger at her in light of everything that God has said. He says, you are the mother of all things living. I wanna talk to you today about the mother's touch Because I believe that despite what we've read, you may be thinking that Eve's legacy is the catastrophic fall. It's not. Eve's legacy is not the catastrophic fall in the garden, but it is the historic victory at Calvary. And here's how we know. If you narrowly focus and zero your attention on the conversation between God toward toward Eve, it was this in verse 15, I will put enmity between you, that is the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and between her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There are three touches that are delivered by our mother Eve through this text that are a unique expression of God's love that I want to show you today. And those three expressions are as follows, if we can get them enumerated. On the screen for our note takers. Number one, a mother's touch gives hope for the future. Number two, a mother's touch gives healing from the fall. Number three, a mother's touch gives hell its final or its final and fatal blow. Turn with me more directly here, looking at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Savor these words, and I want you to understand something that the first audience to receive the book of Genesis, which is written by Moses, would have been the Israelites freshly exodus from Egypt, a group of people whose existence has been couched in the belly of another culture. For multiple centuries, they have been slaves, their understanding of themselves, their understanding of, of themselves, which is anthropology, their understanding of what it means to be saved, which is soteriology, their understanding of how the worlds came to be, which is cosmology, their understanding of the very nature of God himself, which is theology, all of which would have been shaped and framed by a society, i.e. a fallen society, the Egyptians. In other words, in to, rather than having a pure and a clear picture of who God is and how all things came into existence, for hundreds of years, they have been listening to the theology of another nation that has held them captive. They have seen the pantheon play out. They've seen all these different things. And so God, when he comes and removes them from that place, says, we got to hit a hard reset. If anybody's known about the computer, the old school, before you used to press and hold down the, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the power button, you used to press control, alternate, delete and so God says we got to do a hard reset here I need to help you understand where you really came from let me tell you how the world's really came into existence it's not what you heard in Egypt let me tell you where a man really came from and a woman came from it's not what you heard in Egypt Let me tell you what the fall is really about. It's not what you heard in Egypt. Let me tell you what salvation really is not what you heard in Egypt. So this is the first audience to ever receive the book of Genesis. This is the first audience, right, to ever see these words on the pages here of of Genesis chapter 3 and what we would call verse 15. They would have read this and something of their heart, something in their hearts would have leaped with hope. Because they would have understood that, wow, even when humanity was at its worst, God still had a plan that could somehow bring it back to its best. That is one of the first elements of the mother's touch. It is, it is helping them see themselves, not through the lens of other gods and through, the, and through the eyes of their pain, but helping them see themselves through the eyes of prophecy. Prophecy has a fundamental function because this is known as the proto-evangelion. It is the pre-evangelism. It is pointing to the reality that Jesus Christ will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. That is exactly what this text is pointing to. They would have known nothing of the Christ just yet. This is full knowledge that you and I have. But this early information would have given them the same kind of hope that our mothers give us when we fall. When I'm a small child and I fall down and mother comes over and puts her hand on my back or on my head or pulls me close and says, baby, it's going to be okay. She may not have had a medical degree, but I trusted her words. It's going to be okay. This is the same thing that God is doing with humanity. He says, listen, you don't know all the nuances of theology. You don't understand the nature of prophecy yet. You're a brand new nation, but come here. I've got something for you. It's going to be okay. The one who is responsible for your fall, you are responsible for your fall. The one who aggravated your fall, the one who is responsible for aggravating your pain, it's going to be okay because not only I'm going to address it in a very ultimate way, but I'm going to deal with the one who did this to you. Do you see that in the text? That is the very nature of a mother's touch. I don't technically know how it's going to be okay, but I trust as she pulls me close that it is going to be. And that's what this text tells all of humanity when they had their first and their worst fall. This is humanity's first glimmer of hope in contrast to its worst moment in history. Hiroshima was not humanity's worst moment in history. The, 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 The Jewish Holocaust was not humanity's worst moment in history. January 6th was not humanity's worst moment in history. The Black Plague, the Spanish Flu, COVID-19 was not humanity's worst moment in history. Humanity's worst moment in history and all of the other moments that you could possibly catalog from your history books and in your lifetime are all consequences of this moment from the fall. And God the moment that it happens says you can still have hope even though you feel completely helpless. Can you imagine the emotions that are running through the hearts of Adam and Eve in this moment when they realize that they have officially been evicted from paradise? And God says there's still hope. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that wonderful? And who does he make the promise to? Who does he give the prophecy to? He gives it to Eve, the mother of all living. Pay careful attention now. This is a prophecy. Prophecy has purpose. It's not just someone trying to guess or figure out the future. Prophecy has very potent purpose and it is as follows. Number one, it points out our sin. Number two, it prompts us to repent. And number three, it produces an anticipation for God's great salvation. Any prophecy that you read in the scripture is always, yes, it starts out heavy, it starts out ugly, it points out people's sin, it prompts them to repent, but it also produces and cultivates in us an appetite for God's ultimate plan of redemption. And this is exactly what is happening here. And isn't it special and isn't it unique that these words are given to our mother. There's more. A mother's touch not only gives hope for the future, but it gives something else. Let's read it again. Just verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and between her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse five, the Bible begins to speak more comprehensively about the unique bruising of Jesus, this bruising of his heel. What is this being illustrated? What is being illustrated here? But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. The woundedness and the bruising of the son of the woman, the seed of the woman that's being depicted here is talking about Jesus. But there's a question that we must answer. How is it that Jesus is the seed of a woman? A woman doesn't have a seed. How is this possible? This further gives us another layer of the mother's touch. You see, a mother's touch not only gives hope for the future, even when we don't know how it technically is going to happen, It also touches, the mother's touch gives healing from the fall. Well, what are the dynamics of the fall? Adam and Eve have fallen from the garden. They, They have fallen from this paradisical place. They are being evicted from God's presence. They have fallen into the grave. As a result, they are going for the first time and all of us with them will experience death. And they have fallen short of God's glory. These are all outcomes of the fall. But it is through this text of scripture that the Lord says, I'm going to touch these areas of your lives that have been hurt and had been wounded by this threefold fall. You see, the seed of the woman is referring to Jesus, who Joseph is not Jesus' father. For those of you who are hearing this for the first time, the seed of the woman, a woman does not have a seed, is referring to the immaculate conception, is referring to the virgin birth, how it is that a woman who had known no man has now found herself with child and God or the Holy Spirit is the father. Why is that an important appreciation of the Christian doctrine? And why is this a unique mother's touch? Here's why. The father being God's dad means that he is fully divine. But Mary being his mother, the mother's touch means he's also fully human. He's not 50-50, he's 100 He's fully God, which means he is totally free of sin and absolutely holy because that's where the sin nature is transferred. But he's also fully human. So not only is he free of sin, but he is also fully sensitive to those who have fallen prey to sin. You understand why the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ are simultaneously 100% necessary? But the, the humanity of Christ is the mother's touch. The humanity of Christ is the is unique touch that the Lord delivered through the body of Mary. God says, I need my son who, who, who to learn obedience to the things that he will suffer. He that will be the author and the finisher of our faith, he will be touched in every way with our infirmities as we are, but yet not fall prey to them because not only is he fully sensitive, he is also fully sinless because he is my son. This is a mother's touch totally sinless, but yet totally sensitive to our plight. Therefore, the scriptures can say in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, for but as in he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of help. The mother's touch, ladies and gentlemen, is what gives you the ability to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and know that what you are sharing does not fall on deaf ears. He has felt it too. He's fully sensitive to what's happening in our lives because he was born of a woman. This is only exciting to me, apparently. (laughs) The incarnation of Christ is an invitation to know the compassion of God. Hear me carefully. Our redemption is not some technical thing that was worked out on heaven's laptop and sent down to, uh, 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 dissolve viruses on our operating system. Our redemption was not just some legal effort where God says, okay, I'm just going to flip through these paperwork at this paperwork of each person that trusts my son. And I'm just going to stamp the paper, innocent, innocent, innocent. It's not just a, a stroke of legal work. God, who has infinite capacity and no end to the variety and how he can do things, chose to allow his son to come and feel what we go through. That is compassion. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is a beautiful display that God desires to be compassionate to us, not just technically work us through the compliance phase of our redemption. He's interested in feeling it with us. Is that not like the heart of a mother? Have you been, have you seen mothers? Have you seen what they do? Have you seen them go in and throw their arms around the shoulder of a child and they'll rock back and forth with them? They'll sing little lullabies and songs. They'll grab the hand of an adult child. And sometimes it's just the holding of the hand that provides a unique comfort, even though mom does not have the capacity to work any of the machines in the emergency room. Have you not felt that? She is there. And I believe that through this text, God is also saying, I am here. I'm fully compassionate. I'm fully involved. Your fall just didn't happen in the parking lot of life. And I yelled and said, somebody come get my child and bring him to me. I'm busy with other stuff. No, God came to us. A mother's touch gives hope for the future even when we don't fully understand all the nuances of the text as the first recipients of this would not have. A mother's touch gives healing from the fall in a real way. In a real way, we receive healing from the fall. Jesus puts his hand right on the woundedness and his ability to do that is a product of him being fully human. And he is that because of a mother's touch, that God decided to work through the witness of the womb and the ministry of mothers to give us that. But there's more. I believe that the scriptures would also suggest if we read this text, and I'm gonna do it one more time, just in case you're not familiar with it, a mother's touch gives hell a fatal blow. Here's how. Look at verse 15 one more time. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he, that is, that is the, the seed of the woman, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the Satan bruising the, 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 the heel of Christ is indicative of his suffering, but then the heel of Christ being on the head of the adversary is indicative in depicting total defeat. He will crush his head. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and following say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The unique victory of Jesus in bruising the head of the adversary is brought on through the incarnation, which is one of the fundamental fundamental Functions of him being fully human, which is the witness of the womb and coming through the life of a mother. Satan has bark, Satan has bite, but he has also been given boundaries. He's been given those boundaries by Jesus who fully understands. Now, now, what's interesting is if you remember the temptations of Jesus, how is it actually, let, let's be technical for a moment if you can tolerate me. nerd fresh alert. What are the ways in which Satan has victory in our lives? Three three ways that I'll I'll outline. Number one, those who would worship him. This is why when when Christ was tempted in his physical body, when he was tempted, one of the first invites, Matthew chapter three, one of the first invites of the adversary was, hey, why don't you just, you know, why, why don't you bow down and worship me? And you'll get what you want in this life. The first is to, The first is to worship him. Now, I don't know what percentage of you know anybody who worships Jesus, I mean, worships the devil. Not a whole lot of people sign up for that package. It's 666 a month. Not a lot of people sign up for overt satanic worship. But they do sign up for the second package. And that is will they do his work. Do the things that are emblematic of what Satan does. Do his work, which is sin. All of us have done it. Wouldn't, I don't want to be his employee, but surprise, I used to be. I used to work for him. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say that he was my father before I gave my life to Christ. I used to work for him, and so did you before you came to know Jesus. The third is this. The third temptation was that Satan invited him to twist scripture. Hey, why don't you take yourself up to this high place and, and throw yourself down? And won't the father come and, and get you? Won't, he, won't his angels be dispatched to pick you up before you hit the bottom? This is the same thing that he worked on Eve. He twisted the scriptures. He, he modified them with, a, with an egocentric uh, 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 ideal in place. This, this is the mindset of Satan who wanted to exalt himself above the throne of God, who wanted to show himself as being the co-sovereign, if not the absolute sovereign. These are the ways in which hell tries to manifest itself in the lives of believers and have victory. And in many cases, we don't know Christ. It has had victory in this way. So this is why when Jesus Christ defeats, listen to me carefully, Jesus Christ defeats Satan first and foremost when he is tempted in, in the wilderness, but he defeats him finally on the cross. He defeats him by revealing that he will not be able to tap into his flesh and cause him to fall as he did the first man and woman. Christ's defeat of Satan begins with the defeat of sin. First Peter chapter two verses 22 and following. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in him. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He suffered and did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who justly justifies, or who judges justly. Christ's defeat of Satan begins with the defeat of sin. But guess what? There's something else we need to note that he defeats hell because death could not hold him. Death could not hold him because death had nothing to hold on to. Look at the words of Acts chapter two, verses 24. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why did death have nothing to hold on to when it came to the Christ? Because Christ had not yielded himself to anything that death could use as a handle. He had not sinned. He had not fallen. He had not worshiped. He had not walked in Satan's ways. Therefore, death had nothing to hold on to. It could not arrest him, it could not grab hold of him. And so he slipped free and, and, and victoriously abounded from the grave because death can only stick where one has sinned and Christ has not done any of that. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is depicted right here. First and foremost in the earliest pages of the Bible, if you have a good Bible, this is on page three. On page three of every good functional Bible, this this mother's touch, this wonderful work that God would wrought through through the, 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 the work of Eve, through the work of Eve, through the womb of Mary, through the mother's touch, I will put in between, between you and you, between your son and between your seed and, 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 and the offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Ladies and gentlemen, the mother's touch has a phenomenal way of bringing comfort to our lives. One of the things that I love about the mother's touch is that when we fall, when we fall, mom doesn't come out there and rub our nose in it. She doesn't come out there and accentuate my disobedience. When she sees my pain, she pulls me close. Now, some of your mothers may not have done that. Maybe your mom was kind of had some of that drill sergeant working in her, and she just kind of pointed to you and was like, that's what you get. But not your God, not your God. Your God sees you in the absolute worst way, knowing that the fall is fully your fault. And yet he fully looks at the wound and he addresses your woundedness first. This is the touch of compassion of your God. And we are giving regular echoes of that in culture over and over again through the unique compassion that is profoundly felt through the touches of mothers. So mothers, I thank you this morning for uh, one, participating in Eve's ministry that in these small ways, when we find ourselves having fallen down, yes, it is my fault. I have ruined my new outfit. I've ruined the clothes that you paid for. I've ruined everything. But, but even though I've ruined it through my disobedience, you're still willing to pull me close. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is exactly what is being declared. You have ruined this, but guess what? I'm not gonna rub your nose in it. I'm willing to pull you close. That's what the Gospel says. The completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross says, yes, you messed this up, but it's gonna be okay. Let me touch that. Yes, you're the one who was running with reckless abandon, but let me touch that. Yes, you're the one who broke the rules, but let me fix that. I promise you, it's gonna be okay. If you'll just trust what I'm saying to you, this is what the gospel is doing. It's illustrating the simple fact that God is interested in touching the most tender areas of my life, regardless of whose fault it may be. Man, if you're a person here today and you feel like your life is somehow ruined, you didn't ruin your life any more than getting booted out of paradise. You may be here today feeling like your your life has just run upon the rocks and you have totally fallen down in ways that are beyond repair. You can't fall any harder than what we saw in the garden. But here is God in the very moment of the fall saying, you didn't fall so far that I can't reach you. I wanna invite you today that if you don't know Jesus Christ And maybe you've been standing at a distance because you're saying, I've fallen too far. I've messed up too many times. I know that I've been disobedient. I don't want to look into the eyes of God. I don't wanna hear the the truths of the scripture. I don't wanna hear that because it reminds me of my guilt. And Jesus is saying, no, I don't wanna remind you of your guilt. I wanna remind you of my grace. Will you come? Will you let me touch that? There is nothing that you have ever done that makes you too damaged for God and his gospel to work in your life. So if you don't know him, would you do me a favor? Well, every head every head bowed, every eye closed. I just wanna pray for some people. I wanna pray for a special group of people in the room. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you have never given your life to him and you have been standing at a distance, you have been giving the, the, the draw of the Holy Spirit, you've been giving him the stiff arm Because you've said to yourself, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I've messed up too many times. If that's you, you feel like you've messed up too many times. Will you slip your hand up? I wanna pray for you. Are you a person who says, I don't know where I stand with God. I know I gave my life to him at some point, but I feel like I keep falling. Does he want anything else to do with me? I wanna assure you that he does. In the gospel, he fully anticipates that we're not perfect and the work of the gospel is to perfect us over time. If that's you, you feel like, Lord, I know that I'm saved. I don't need to re-get saved, but Lord, I don't feel like I'm yours. Will you slip your hand up? I wanna pray for you. I see those hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, There are people who put their hands up, and some of them who wanted to, but their hearts wouldn't let them, their heads wouldn't let them because they don't know exactly what it might mean with others looking at them. Lord God, but you see them. I pray for that person, oh God, that they would come to the end of themselves, that you would free them from embarrassment and know that coming to you, that in you there is no shame. You're not here just to show them their sin. You've already done that through your scriptures. You're here to show them your grace and your Savior. I pray, oh God, that their hearts would be renewed and refreshed in that reality. I pray for that person, oh God, that they would pray with me, Father God, I have fallen. I have sinned. But I now see your grace. Will you save me? because I now know I cannot pick up nor save myself. Will you save me? Lord, will you, will you apply the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to my sin? I wanna turn and pray for the person who feels like they've messed up way too many times. I just wanna remind you that when God saved you, He knew your propensities and there was no amount of sin that could surprise him. And that forgiveness is still available to you. Will you forgive yourself because he will forgive you. The Bible says that if you will confess, if you will agree with God on your sin, that he will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I want you to pray with me. Father God, I repent from not forgiving myself, but I turn to you and ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness, oh God. Give me the capacity to repent by way of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, help me to turn from this thing that regularly plagues my life. And allow me to experience the peace and the promise of your forgiveness. Amen.